We want to welcome everybody that's joined us online. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, we're so thankful to have you with us. You're probably wondering why this good-looking young man is up here with me. And uh, he's wondering that as well. Uh, I'm going to hand you this mic because Wednesday night, it was really great. Uh, Pastor Dave is doing a series on Wednesday night called The Power of One, doing a fantastic job teaching us what that means from a book that he wrote and a, and a study that he uh, put together. And uh, as he was giving the opening illustration, as he was giving the introduction to Wednesday night's lesson, it was almost as if he had read my sermon, which he had not. He did not know what I was preaching about. But the introduction that he gave went so well, it was actually better than the introduction that I was going to give to my sermon. So I asked Dave if he would come. Would you just make him welcome? He's going to introduce the sermon this morning. Well, I've heard of team uh, teaching, never team preaching. We used to have uh, what they call pulpit times, you know, yeah. where everybody yeah. had five minutes. Well... <laughs> Everybody knows what's going to happen uh, two weeks from yesterday, right? Ohio State will open with Nebraska. All right. Okay. We just had our grandsons uh, yesterday in Kings Island, and uh, so this story is uh, even a little fresher. And, uh, uh, but when our sons were small, our grandsons were small, they live in Nashville, Tennessee, by the way, and, uh, but they are Buckeyes through and through, and they have all their stuff. All the guys know in Tennessee that they are Buckeye fans. So I think they were probably about four, six, and seven, and uh, they came up to see us, and it was when Braxton Miller was playing for the Buckeyes. And uh, so I decided to have a little fun with them. And I said, guys, do you know Braxton Miller? And they all looked at me like I was half crazy. Of course we know Braxton Miller. I said, well, tell me about him. So they told me how many touchdown passes he had that year, how many, how many yards he had run, how many different things he was doing. I said, that's great, guys. I said, but here, let me ask you this question. Do you know Braxton Miller? And so they again looked at him like, Papa's lost his mind. You know, and they said, you mean I talk to him and stuff? I said, yeah. No, we don't know him like that. We just know what he does. I said, guys, here's the thing. You can begin to understand that you know a lot about somebody, but you don't know him. And I said, how would you get to know Braxton Miller? And they looked again and they said, well, I guess we'd have to have somebody introduce him to us and we'd sit down talking stuff. I said, bingo. I said, here's the thing. You can know a lot about somebody without knowing somebody. You can know a lot about God without knowing God. Amen. And our pastor is going to talk to us today about the tent of meeting and how we know God personally. God bless you, Pastor. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. And I encourage you to, uh, if you're able, to be here on Wednesday nights to be a part of uh, this awesome discipleship uh, class called The Power of One. And uh, we're just having a great time learning what it means to live by the power of one. In our text today, we find Moses hungry to know God intimately. 
Now, we've talked about Moses a lot during this series as we continue this series, God's Favorite House. We've learned about the tabernacle of Moses. We've learned about the tabernacle of David. We've learned about the tabernacle of Solomon or the temple of Solomon. And uh, if you've missed any of those weeks, you can go back online and you can watch those and, and learn with us together. But today I'm going to talk a little bit about a different tabernacle that perhaps you've never heard of. And it leads us into what it means to really understand God. And, and uh, in fact, I want to I share as we go towards the end of my message, I want to give you some attributes of God that hopefully will help you understand him a little better and know him a little better. So as we have our text, in fact, I want you to have your Bibles open to Psalm 103. Would you do that? Some of it is going to be in your outline. Some of it is not. So I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 103. That's where we're headed right now. But the text is actually pulled out of uh, the book of Exodus. And, and uh, we find Moses really wanting to know God intimately. Now, he's been through a lot with the children of Israel. He's been through a lot with God by this time. And, and you might be asking, well, why doesn't he know God intimately already? And, and you know, he did know God. He knew the acts of God, but he really had, uh, was just learning the ways of God. And that's what I'm talking about today. You know, the same could be asked about the 12 disciples because they literally walked this earth with Jesus for three years and they saw him perform miracles and, and uh, they saw him uh, feed the 5,000 more than once. Uh, they saw him do all of these wonderful acts. But when we find that it came down to the nuts and bolts of relationship, they all ran when Jesus found himself being crucified and being persecuted. They disappeared because they really did. They knew the acts of Jesus but they didn't really know Jesus. In fact, it wasn't until the book of Acts where we see the acts of God and then the acts of, of the disciples as they begin to duplicate what Jesus did, right, in the book of Acts. In fact, you know, it really wasn't until Jesus had gone back to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down upon them that they really began to know Jesus. They found themselves kind of confused by his teachings up until then. So here's Moses. God had called him to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. And, and uh, if you've ever seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, and I, I know that uh, uh, it's on television a lot. And, you know, Charlton Heston is not Moses, but he sure makes a good one on TV. Amen. And uh, he says, let my people go. Right. And uh, they, they went through the whole ten plagues thing. Uh, you know, he and the children of Israel witnessed them firsthand, the flies and, and the boils and and water turned to blood and all of that stuff. Uh, they, they experienced the crossing of the Red Sea. And you remember Pharaoh and his army were drowned in the Red Sea. In fact, I don't know if you realize it or not, but we just sang about the Red Sea where he turns water rivers into highways. He turns water into highways, right? That's what God does. That's what he did in the Red Sea. He turned the Red Sea into dry land where they could go across. And here's Moses leading the children of Israel through all of this. And as they get into the wilderness, they're led by day by a cloud and by night by a pillar of fire. When some of them were thirsty and they began to complain, they got water out of a rock. In fact, they got hungry and God gave them manna out of heaven. They got so tired of, of the manna that they began to complain. And it says in Numbers 11, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only you had some meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now, can you imagine? Here, the, here, here they are. They've experienced all of this stuff. 
They've experienced all of these acts of God and and all of these miracles of God, and they still find themselves wanting to go back into Egypt, wanting to go back to where, you know, they forgot how bad it really was, and they were just wanting a square meal. I find it interesting in, the, in Numbers, God says, now you will not eat for just one day or you will, you will eat two days. The Lord will give you meat and you will eat it, not just 10 days or 20 days, but you'll eat it for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who among you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? So no matter what God did for them, they ended up complaining Why? Because they knew God's acts, but they really didn't know God. And as we pick up our scripture this morning, Moses has just returned from Mount Sinai. And back in in Acts 32, we see that the Lord said to Moses, you've got to go back there. The people whom you brought out of Egypt, God is always reminding them about his acts, by the way. He'll always remind us of his acts. These people whom I have brought out of Egypt, these people who I've helped uh, with all of these wonderful acts, uh, they have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. So Moses Moses, you got to get back down there and you got to fix this thing. So in Exodus 33, we see Moses desperate, desperate for God's voice, desperate to know more. Now, understand that he had just been on Mount Sinai. He had just received the Ten Commandments and the laws, and, and, uh, but there was more. He wanted more. And, and here's what I know. Anytime that we get close to God, anytime we get to know God a little more, we want to know him more. Am I right? Anytime that we, we taste something that tastes good, we want more of that. Why do you think buffets are so successful? Amen? Because, hey, that's pretty good. I think I'll go back for more. Now, I grew up in a family with four kids. And so anytime we tasted something good, we knew we better get more quick because it's going to run out pretty fast. Amen. One time I was on quartet tour in college and, and uh, we traveled everywhere and they would feed us like we'd never eaten before. It, it was amazing. And, and uh, dad was telling us a story and, and kind of warning us. Dad traveled with us. He was our sponsor. And he said, don't ever do what my friend in quartet did with us. And, and uh, he said, what's that? He said, well, we were at, a, we were at someone's house and they, they made these beautiful, beautiful steaks. They were just wonderful. And they made one for each person. And so they handed me the plate first. And being the kind person that I am, I yielded to the person next to me. And I said, you go ahead and start it. And it went all around the table and got to the person right beside me. And they looked at me and said, well, Spriggs, looks like you're not getting any. And he took both of the ones that were left and put them on his plate. <laughs> but you have to know my dad. My dad's nice, but he'll only be pushed so far. And he said, that's what you think. He took his fork and jabbed it and put it on his plate and said, I'm going to eat that, right? But anytime we taste something that we like, we want more. Well, Moses had already seen the acts of God. He had been uh, uh, in the presence of God, but he wanted more. So we pick up in verse 7, Exodus 33, and Moses does something very interesting. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. Now I want you to stop there for a moment. The word tent means tabernacle. And he called it the tent of meeting, or some versions say the tabernacle of meeting. It's the same word. The word tent is used somewhere elsewhere for tabernacle. But here it refers to Moses' personal tent. This was his personal tabernacle. 
So here's Moses, he's getting away, and he's gonna have a conversation with God. This place, this house, was different than the houses we've talked about. It was outside the camp, and it was a place where Moses could get away from the hustle and bustle, get away from the children of Israel that were complaining and whining and sinning, and he could come into literally the presence of God. It says anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. So they knew something was going on, right? They knew something was different here. Something was happening over in that tent. Something was happening in the tent of meeting that I I need to know about. And so they would watch as Moses, verse 9, went into the tent. The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. And the Lord, watch this, would speak to Moses face to face. Stop right there for a moment. I want you to understand something this morning. God wants to speak to you face to face. God wants to know you intimately, and he wants you to know him intimately. In fact, he wrote a whole love letter, we call it the Bible, so that you would know all about him and know him and get to know him intimately. So whenever the people saw this pillar of cloud, they understood that something was going on. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one, watch this, speaks to a friend. I want you to underline that in your outline if you're following along. He spoke face to face as one speaks to a friend. Listen, my friend, God wants to be your friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And Moses said to the Lord on this particular instance, Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, Lord, and this needs to be every one of our prayers. And this is the prayer that we need to pray as we go through this series, God's favorite house. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. You see, the tent of meeting was the place of God's presence. It was sort of a portable, small-scale tabernacle, if you will, for special times of communion with God, especially before the full tabernacle was complete. It had none of the tabernacle furnishings. It was different from the tabernacle of Moses that we've talked about. It was different from the tabernacle of David that we've talked about. It was different than the temple of Solomon that we've talked about. But Moses found a place where he could get alone with God and hear from him and learn from him and know his ways and know God intimately. Moses called this the tent or the tabernacle of meeting, for here is where he met with the living God. As I was preparing this message in this series, this sermon was not actually in the series, but a few weeks ago I heard uh, Pastor Jim Sembla of the Brooklyn Tabernacle preach on this subject, and it just caught my mind. And the Lord said, this needs to be a part of the series because my people need to understand the importance of building a tent of meeting to get outside of the camp 
of the hustle and bustle of life. Dig outside of the camp of all of the things that are distracting you from God to get away with just your Bible and some worship music and God and get to know him because God desperately, desperately wants to show you his ways today. So Moses finds himself in the tent of meeting, away from the people, outside of the camp, in a place where he can be alone with God and listen with no distractions. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's in need of guidance from God. And he said, God, if you're pleased with me, if I am following you, would you teach me your ways? Now we're going to jump to Psalm 103. Because in Psalm 103, we find a psalm of David, and perhaps you're familiar with it. If you have your Bibles open, this is not in your notes, but it begins out with David saying, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Now we talked about the tabernacle of David where the, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And remember, there was no veil. And he started a 24-7 worship and prayer service. For 36 years, they worshiped God and they praised God. And they would come into the tabernacle of David and they would write psalms. But they weren't just psalms. They were actually songs. And the scribes would sit and they would write down the words and they would put it to music. And out of all of these psalms that you read, you actually should be able to sing them. They're actually songs. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. That's just impromptu. No, no. No, no. It says, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. And then we get to verse 7. And David said, he made known his ways to Moses. And this morning, he wants to make known his ways to you. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? Lord, in this moment, show us your ways. In this moment, draw us in to you. In this moment, Lord, help us to lean in to your presence. Lord, we don't want to just know about you. We want to know you. And Father, I pray that today you would make known your ways to us as you did to Moses. And we will give you praise. Amen. He made known his ways to Moses and then it follows by saying he made his acts known to the children of God. There's a difference between his ways and his acts. 
You see, up until this point, he had shown all of his acts, and the children of Israel had seen them all, but he still, they still did not understand his ways. And when Moses began to hear and understand the ways of God, that really is what helped him make it through, leading these complaining uh, Israelites, over a million of them, complaining every day that this isn't enough. And then when they would get more, that's not enough, and we might as well go back to Egypt. In fact, John Maxwell used to joke that, you know, half the time Moses was complaining about the children of Israel and the other half the time God was complaining about the children of Israel. And it's a good thing that none of them ever did it on the same day. They may have never made it, right? <laughs> they knew his acts, but they didn't really know him. Look at verse 8. God begins to reveal his ways to us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. <laughs> Do you see it? God made his ways known to Moses. Now the Israelites knew his acts, but they didn't understand his ways. Let me just help you understand something. If all we ever do is know God's acts, that's all we'll ever ask for and depend on. In other words, our prayer time when we come to him is more like seeing God as a vending machine. God, would you please do this? Would you please heal this person? Would you please help me with this? Would you please take care of this problem? And would you please do that? And all we do is come to God. Would you, would you give me your acts? Give me your acts. More acts. You know what? There's never enough. There is never enough. In fact, when Paul said, Lord, I need you to give me one of your acts. I need, God, I need you to heal me of this thorn in my flesh. You know what the Lord said after Paul asked and asked and asked? You know what God said? Listen, I'm not going to heal you of that. That is my acts. I'm going to show you my ways and give you my grace because my grace is sufficient to help you through anything that you will ever face. And if all we ever depend on is the acts of God, we will never make it in this Christian wall. We are going to get discouraged. We're going to wish we could just go back to Egypt. We're going to wish we had more and more and more. And when we're always wishing we had more and more, can I tell you something? There is never, ever enough. I think I've told you about one of the first jobs that my wife and I had when we lived in South Florida early on in our marriage. We lived in a, well, then it was a $7 million home. Now it's probably a $15 or $20 million home. And uh, right on the beach, and, uh, you know, it, it took us a while to afford it, but we finally were able to put it. No, no, we didn't buy it. We didn't buy it. We were the lowly caretakers, you know. I, I did the lawn, and, and she did the cooking and, and, and the laundry, and, and I, I took care of the pool. And they actually had another home up in Stewart that we took care of as well. And this was, this, these were two homes of like six homes. They had one in Cape Hatteras. They had homes everywhere. In fact, uh, uh, one day uh, we had to leave the house because um, Barry Manilow was coming to look at the house. He was thinking about buying it. I mean, this was a really, really nice house. It was, it was just a, a beautiful place. But I want to tell you something. As much as we tried to tell them about Jesus and, and be an example for them, they just continually rejected it and rejected it. And, and they were two of the most sad people I've ever met in my life. I'll never forget, we moved away and we, we moved into the pastorate and Crystal and I actually made a, an album on our, on our own, recorded it ourselves, and, and we mailed it to them. 
the, the owners of that place. They were living, the Browns, they're both gone now, but we mailed them a copy of that. We just said, you know what, we're just going to keep investing in them. We, we would send them a Christmas card every year and just tell them we're praying for them, we're thinking about them. And, and uh, you know, she uh, wrote back about three or four months later, and she said, you know, I listen to that tape every day. Every day. I just dated myself. Yes, it was a cassette tape. <laughs> she said, I listened to it every day. When the evening came, he would retire to his office and drink until he was ready to go to sleep. And he, she would retire to her loft and talk to her dead son that she believed was incarnated into her little poodle. And in fact, named her poodle after her dead son and would talk to him and they had more money than they knew what to do with. But they were sad. They were always wanting more. And I think perhaps God allowed us to, to live in that place with a 60-foot-long swimming pool in the living room and a three-story high waterfall coming down the middle of it. Literally seven different hotel-type suites all around the pool with its own restroom and bathroom, you know, bathroom and, and, and bedroom and all of that and microwave. And it was, it was like a hotel. But we learned right there. If all I'm depending on is God's acts, I will never be happy. But you know, God began to seal in our hearts his ways. And his ways were that he called us to move to Pennsylvania, a little town called East Enterprise, Indiana. And they were so kind, they were going to let us live in the parsonage. It was appraised at about $25,000. It had holes in the floor. In fact, one day I was at work, I was bivocational at the time, and I worked in Cincinnati, and my wife called me. She was just scared of that. She said, I'm over at Amos. He was the, he was the neighbor. He, she said, I'm going to stay here until you get home. I said, what happened? Well, a rat crawled up out of one of those holes, and I called Amos, and he came and beat it to death with a broom and said I could come home and stay with him. <laughs> but you know what? As long as you know God's ways, it's okay. It's okay. You're going to make it. I want you to know that whatever you're going through this morning, you're going to make it. It's okay. God's ways are beautiful. So let's talk about that for just a moment. In verse 8, David begins to help us understand God's ways. Because God really wants us to know him. So if you're taking notes, I just, I just sat down. I, I read over this scripture several times. And this is just what flowed out of me for this morning. I hope it's for someone. I'm going to accept it for myself as well. I want you to know, number one, if you're taking notes, God's ways are fueled by compassion. God really does know what you're going through. And he really does care about what you're going through. He understands what you're facing. In fact, Jesus walked this earth for three years and there's not one of us in this room that have had it as bad as Jesus had it, I promise you. There's not one of us in this room that has had the persecution and the difficulty and the, and the, 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 the temptation and the struggle and, and, and the pain and the death that Jesus experienced. He understands what you're going through. And I want you to understand this. He feels your pain. 
You understand then what's that, what that's like when someone you love is in pain, when someone that you love is sick or hurting. You, you, sometimes we say to ourselves, I wish it could be me. I don't want you to go through that. Why, why can't it be me, God? I, I want to go through that. Why? Because we feel their pain. We don't want them to be in pain. And God so loved you that he gave his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross that anybody in this room or anyone watching online would not perish but have everlasting life. He feels your pain and he is willing to do whatever it takes to help you come through that. Our God is a compassionate God. His ways are fueled by compassion. A lot of people will tell you, no, no, he wants you to hit you over the head. He just wants to make your life miserable. No, no, God, it's not just sympathy, it's empathy. He understands what you're facing. In fact, I didn't include this in your notes, but in verse 13 there in Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You see, God's ways are fueled by compassion. He loves you today. Secondly, if you're taking notes, I believe that God's ways are soaked in mercy. Look at verse 8. Our God is abounding in mercy. Underline that word, abounding. More mercy than you can imagine. More mercy than we deserve. In fact, the word mercy means I don't give you what you deserve. Mercy means we deserve death, but God gives us life. Mercy says, I'm not going to give you what, deserve, what you deserve. I'm going to take it on myself, and I'm going to die myself because somebody's going to die for the sin, and I'm not going to make you do that. Don't tell me God doesn't love us. God loves you this much. We used to sing a chorus years ago. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. His ways are soaked in mercy. The third thing I see in this scripture is that God's ways are guided by generosity. Do you see it in verse 8? The Lord is gracious. You say, well, what do you mean generous? What do you mean generosity? That means when I am gracious towards you, when I give you grace, it's different than mercy. Mercy says, I am not going to give you what you deserve. We all deserve death, but I'm going to have mercy on you, and I'm not going to do that to you. Grace says, I bestow upon you that which you do not deserve. I'm going to bless you even when you are unblessable. Christ is going to die for you while we are yet sinners. I'm going to bless you even when you are unblessable. And how many of you know that every one of us in this room have experienced moments many times where we are unblessable, but God blesses us anyway. God's ways are guided by generosity, by graciousness. I give you what you do not deserve. I don't know if you've ever accepted a gift that seemed over the top, a gift that was like, that's, that's more than it needs to be. And immediately we think, I, I, don't, this, this is, I don't deserve this. How, how am I ever going to pay it back? But the beauty about a gift is a gift is a gift. It's free. If they expect something in return, it's not a gift. It's a contract, right? 
If I expect to give you something and get something in return, then I'm basically doing a contract. And that's the way a lot of gifts are. You know, I'll give you this, but there, what do we say? There are strings attached. But when God blesses us, there are no strings attached. He just blesses us because he loves us. Come on, tell the person beside you, God loves you and he wants to bless you. God's ways are full and guided by generosity. The fourth thing I see, and also in verse 8, I believe that God's ways, watch this, are softened with patience. Because it tells us that the Lord is slow to anger. It doesn't mean he won't get angry, but he's slow to anger. Now I've given you many times the definition of patience, which is basically, if you want to write this down, patience is endurance without complaint. You know what I love about God? He doesn't come and just beat us up over the head for every mistake we've ever made. He just endures and loves and waits for us to come to him and ask for his mercy and ask for his grace and ask for his forgiveness. And he is always, always, always there. Come on, somebody needs to hear this this morning. He is always there. He is patient with us. He will wait forever and ever. He will wait until that last dying breath. He will wait as long as it takes. He will wait for us. And he's waiting for you. Some of you, for whatever reason, you've been waiting to come to him. I'm going to tell you a secret. You can't outweigh God because his ways are softened with patience. I looked up the actual Webster's Dictionary for patience. Let me read this to you. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay. (laughs) The capacity to accept or tolerate your delay. You see, if we were God, we'd get to a point where we'd say, I'm done. They don't want it, whatever. I'm moving on. But not God. His patience waits. It doesn't stop there, though. The capacity to accept or tolerate trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. Wow. You see, God's ways are softened with his patience. The fifth one, if you're taking notes, we see that God's ways are proven by forgiveness. We don't deserve forgiveness. But you know, we don't forgive someone because they deserve it. We forgive someone because we need to be, we need to be forgiven. And so when we give forgiveness, God says, I will forgive you. And God's ways are proven by his forgiveness. I love what Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He forgave you before you ever asked. You say, well, why do I have to confess? Because you've got to take the step to accept that gift. For God so loved you that he gave his son. Look what it says in verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us 
according to our iniquities. Somebody needs to give me a good amen on that. Where would we be today if he punished us according to our sins? Where would we be today if he punished us according to our iniquities? Think of it. And I don't think this is what was going through the mind of the children of Israel. I think what was going through the mind of the children of Israel is this man is okay, but where's the beef, huh? I think what was going through the mind of the children of Israel is, you know, we could have it better back in Egypt. This is, this is ridiculous. We ate better then. Well, you forget you were also making bricks and you were, you were also slaves and you were, you were working your fingers to a bone. You also forget that you were, you were, you were in bondage in Egypt. But all we think about is his acts and not his ways. We'll never understand. If all we look at is the law and say, well, God must not love me or he wouldn't give me all these laws. No, no. Do you know that God gave most of the laws that God gave the children of Israel was because he did love them? Don't eat this because you will die. Hello, which is better, eating this or dying, right? And he was trying to take care of them. He was trying to show them his love. He was trying to say, if you will just listen to me, I have your best interest at heart. I really am trying to take care of you. I really do love you. And that takes us to number six. God's ways are powered by love. Not control. Not meanness. Not anger. God's ways are powered by love. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You have to understand that this, this metaphor is showing us that his, his forgiveness is so great that it shows the love that he has for us. In other words, this word is a picture of how much God loves you. I love you so much that not only am I going to forgive you of your sins, but I'm going to remove them from you as far as the east is from the west. They will no longer be. You need to quit talking about it because I've already forgotten them. They are gone. They are they are cleansed and they are out of here. That is the love of Christ. The breath of God's forgiveness reveals his love for you. I want you to know that God loves you deeply. His ways are perfect. His motivations are pure. He cares about you today and tomorrow. He knows what you went through yesterday and last week and last month. He knows what you're going through right now. If you're watching online, wherever you are in your living room or your kitchen or your den, whatever you're watching on your phone or on your computer on the television, I want you to know God knows right where you are right now, right now. And he cares. He loves you. He wants to know you. He wants to know you. Do you understand that? God wants to know you. I pulled this out of the Believer's Bible Commentary. If we could measure the distance of the heavens from the earth, 
we could get some idea of the magnitude of His love. But we can't. We can't even determine the size of the universe that we live in. And talking about infinite distance, that is exactly how far He has removed our transgressions from us. Just as the east is from the west, and never the twain shall meet, it says. So the believer and his sins will never meet. Those sins have been put out of God's sight forever. Watch this. By the miracle of love. I just want you to bow your heads for a moment. I just want to give a general invitation. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to give you any special instruction other than this. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, if you're watching online, you say, Pastor, I, I don't even really know how to put it into words, but Pastor, I, I just have this sense that I need to have a deeper experience of God's ways in my life. Maybe one of these attributes that we read about really spoke to you. I don't know. I don't know. But what I want to do in the quietness of the moment is I just want to pray with you. Those of you that are here in the room, those of you online, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, even if you're watching online, I just want you to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I just want you to pray for me that I will know more intimately God's ways in my life. Are you ready to do that? I'm going to count to three. I just want you to lift your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to know who I'm praying with. One, two, three. Just lift your hand up. Yes, over here on the left. Several on the left. In the middle. Over here on the right. Yes. Anyone else? Just lift your hand. Pastor, I want to, I want to experience more intimately God's ways. Yes. If you're raising your hand online, yes, God sees that. I can't see you, but God can see you wherever you are. And just keep your head bowed, Lord. Your acts are great. They're beyond our understanding and comprehension. The miracles you perform boggle our mind. The greatest of all of those miracles is when you come into our life and create a new person within us. And God, we want to start right there by saying thank you for making us a new person. Thank you for making me a new creation. And Lord, perhaps there are those right now, either in the room or online, that are praying that prayer now. They're, they're believing. They're confessing. They're coming to you the best way they know how. They say, Jesus, please come to my life. Please forgive me. Please make me new. The best way I know how, Lord, I accept you into my life. And I ask you to make me a new person. Forgive me of my sins. Change me now. Or perhaps there's those here that have been Christians for many years. But for whatever reason, perhaps it's kind of, they've, they've grown weary and well-doing. Maybe it's become dry. Or maybe they've forgotten to depend on God's ways, not just his acts. God, in this holy moment, in this holy moment, would you reveal yourself to us? You told Moses that you would be with them. Your presence would walk with them. Lord, I'm praying that for every person in this room, 
every person watching online. I'm praying, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us. Show us your ways. Show us your ways. Show us your ways. Show us your ways. Moses had seen your glory, but he found himself in the tent of meeting, Lord, saying, Lord, I want to see your ways. Show us your ways. Help us to be God's favorite house. Help us, Lord, to be the tent of meeting. Meet with us. Walk with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Do you claim that prayer for yourself? I trust that you do. And I believe that God is going to continue to do what he's been doing in this series. He does great things, but he also is a great loving God. And he wants to show you every day his love, compassion, forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his love. Jesus loves you. You know, it's hard to transition. This series has been a little bit different for me because I really didn't plan the endings. I just said, Lord, just guide us. So we're going to close like this. Praise team, come. You choose what song we're going to sing, Daniel. I think it would be good if we would just, if you're able, let's take the standing posture of worship and let's stand if you're able to do that. And just give me a couple of minutes. Give God a couple of minutes. And let's remain in the presence of God. And let's ask Him, Lord, show me your ways. Show me your ways. Can we do that together?